Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Good morning, everyone. Hey, I'm excited to be here this morning as we're kind of launching into this new series called Pass It On. And it's really all about spiritual parenting. Let me explain what I mean by spiritual parenting. We're going to be talking about principles that apply not only to being a parent in the home, like you saw in that video there, but also to being a spiritual parent to someone younger than yourself. So basically building into younger generations. So let's say you're here today and you're not a parent, you're not a grandparent. The reason these next few weeks will be important to you is because we're talking about what all healthy relationships need. So unless you're a hermit, which you're not because you're here, right? You're gonna interact with other people in life. And we're gonna be talking about basic biblical relationship principles. I'm just gonna be doing it in the context of parent family type illustrations, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle. But these are general relationship principles. So what I want you to do up front here is I want you to get out your outline. And at the top of that outline, I'd like you to write down the word difficult, okay? And that's not to describe your kids, although it may be, okay? It's to let you know that this process is not going to be easy. We're going to be talking about some tough stuff. I mean, how many of you in here are parents and you would say that parenting is difficult? That's the way you describe it. Raise your hands. Yeah. Okay. How many of you are single parents and you would say difficult is too easy a word for impossible? Okay. Any single parents in here? Okay, do we have any empty nesters in here? Would you raise your hands up high? Yeah, look, they're all smiling. We've done it. Yeah. Any boomerang parents where you thought your kids left and they're back? Bye-bye retirement. Okay, we got some of them. How about grandparents in here? Do we have any grandparents in the room? Okay, plenty of grandparents. You've been up since 4 a.m., right? And I know grandparents, you think it's your job to spoil kids. (laughs) Well, this series is for you as well, all right? Because what we're gonna talk about here is important. You can have a significant influence in the lives of future generations. All right, how about brand new parents? Let's say you have a two-year-old or under. Would you raise your hands up high so we can pray for you at this time? Okay, (laughs) welcome to the real world, suckers, okay? (laughs) And then there's another category of people. You don't have kids, you don't like kids, you don't like being around kids. Anybody in here wanna admit to that, okay? You're the ones I like to sit next to in a restaurant. But This series is for you too, because we're talking about basic relational principles that apply across the board. So are we all in here as we get started? Now, before I launch in, let me give you some upfront stuff just to get us going. First of all, I will tell you outright, I am not an expert on parenting. I'll just get that out in the open. I used to be an expert, and then I had kids, all right? <laughs> Changed everything. Second, I have some experience beyond the parenting realm. I was a youth pastor for many years. And let me tell you, you learn a whole lot about kids, a whole lot about family dynamics just being a youth pastor. In fact, for Wendy and I, it was a great form of birth control for many years. Right? Every time Wendy would say, isn't it about time we had kids? I'd just point to some of the teenagers and say, are you kidding me? Look at what can happen, right? We don't want to bring another one of those into the circus. And the third thing I want to tell you is I am not going to spend much time in this series talking about the culture our youth are growing up in. 
I'm not going to do it because I don't think it's going to be very helpful. I mean, I could give you hours and hours of empirical data on how bad our culture is, how it's seducing our kids into an amoral, valueless society. But scare tactics don't really give hope. And besides, you know how bad the culture is. I would rather give you some hope tactics. The bottom line is this. There is a battle going on today for the family unit. No doubt about it. And in fact, there are some who would say, yeah, the family as we know it doesn't even exist anymore. Right, that's not my voice. I believe the family's fragile. I believe it's in desperate need of help, but I don't think it's over. I don't think it's over because it's God's design. It's his idea. We just have to figure out how to parent youth in a godly way. So I want to begin with kind of a blank slate. And I want to ask this question. What if we were to paint a picture of what a good youth would look like? Not just a good kid, a good adult, a good human being. What is our vision for the future generations? That if they have these character qualities, they're going to be able to take a stand in the culture around them. Well, I think it's been spelled out for us in the Bible already. You see, there's a spiritual parent in the Bible who wrote a letter to his young apprentice. And in this letter, he actually spells out five character traits that would help his young friend navigate his way through a very immoral, a very anti-God culture in the first century. His name is the Apostle Paul, okay? And he was a spiritual parent to his young apprentice, Timothy. And what I wanna do is just briefly walk through the five key character traits that he wanted to build into Timothy because this will sort of form the basis for each of these messages on spiritual parenting. So you ready for these? I have them on your outline already. The first one is confidence. Not that they would be cocky or arrogant, but just secure in who they are in Christ. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you were young, but set an example. See, be confident in the knowledge of who you are in Christ. Second, character. That they would have a moral compass by which they make the decisions. That this is right, this is wrong. They have integrity. Paul goes on to say in 1 Timothy 4.12, set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. So there's confidence. There's character. Third, conviction. These are your beliefs. Everybody has beliefs. The only question is, what are your beliefs rooted on? Are your beliefs rooted on God's word or what the world says or what you feel at the time? Paul tells Timothy that he should be holding on to faith, his beliefs, and a good conscience. Fourth, compassion. Paul tells Timothy to be sensitive in your dealings with others. First Timothy 5, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. <clears throat> Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Now, do our youth see the needs around them? Do they have compassion for those who are hurting and do something about it? And then fifth, competence. The fifth thing I want you to write down is competence. You know, do they know their gifts? Do they know their abilities? Do they see themselves as difference makers in this world? Look at 1 Timothy 4. Paul says this, Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. So confidence, character, conviction, compassion, and competence. That's the biblical picture that Paul painted as the end game 
for his child in the faith, Timothy. And I think it should be the end product that we're after as well. That's my prayer for my family, both my immediate family and our spiritual church family. And so the goal is gonna be to keep these things in mind as we walk through 10 biblical action steps over the next few weeks. We're gonna talk about 10 biblical actions that will enhance our odds of getting there. And listen to me on this. I said enhance our odds. I'm not guaranteeing it because I can't, okay? There's not one parenting formula that you can just plug and play. And, and I've seen really great kids come out of crummy homes. And I've seen really messed up kids come out of really good homes with really good parents. There's still the element of a child's own will that we can't always predict. So here we go. I want you to write this down. The first thing we need as spiritual parents is belief. Belief. What I mean by belief is valuing your role as a parent or as a grandparent or as a spiritual mentor. Belief in the value of doing that. This is absolutely essential, right? If you are not convinced that you can play a significant role in helping youth to understand and embrace these five C's, then you're in trouble. I mean, if you're a parent and you don't believe that, you'll become nothing more than a shift manager at your own bed and breakfast. And I meet a lot of parents who are so worried about the dangers of Hollywood, right? They're so worried about the evils of video games. I don't want the outside world to influence my kid. And they don't realize that they are the number one influence on their kid's life. Hear me on this. You as a parent, your values, your actions, your beliefs, greatest influence on your kid's life. Hands down. No doubt about it. And as hard as it may be for some of you to believe, let me tell you what teenagers have told me. They want mom or dad to be their hero. They really do. Why? Because that's God's design for the family. Psalm 127 says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. How happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. You might circle happy. Your kids are a reward from God. God has entrusted them to you. So believe in your power to shape them, to change them, to make a difference in their life. Jesus echoes this same sentiment in Mark 9. He says he took a little child and had him stand among them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Jesus is saying, if you welcome a child, you welcome me. You welcome God. Now that is a high calling. And it puts my job description as a parent into an eternal perspective. Believe that you have the highest of callings, people. You gotta believe that. That's where it starts. That your calling is absolutely essential. Now, please hear me on this. I am not pretending that parenting is easy. I used to think that parenting was easy. I can remember as a foolish young dad when we had a toddler and a newborn in the house. I would come home from work. My wife was a stay-at-home mom. And I would kind of look around the house and go, what did you do all day, right? Yeah, I know now. Why didn't you tell me years ago, right? (laughs) If you don't have kids yet, take note of this. Never, ever say that, ever, okay? Because once I regained consciousness, uh, (laughs) my wife said to me, what I did all day was to make it possible to take our kids out in public. That's what I did all day. And then she proceeded to wipe the ketchup stains off the wall, shampoo the carpet, change the baby's diaper with one hand, right? Before I could even apologize. So I realized this is a big deal. Parenting is tough work. And I thought about this. Wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't this be cool? If when someone asks you what you do for a living, 
you wouldn't put the value of your paycheck ahead of your value as a parent. Because we always respond with what we do as a career, don't we? Subconsciously in our world, I think we've taken the role of parenting and devalued it. We really have. That's sad. We have to believe that this is the highest of callings. So what if the next time someone asks you what you do for a living, you were to say, oh, that's easy. I'm in charge of socializing two homo sapiens into the dominant values of the Judeo-Christian tradition so that they can be agents of transformation in the social order of the teleological described utopia that God prescribed. Let's throw that out there. Whoa. And then you can go, and what do you do? Oh, just a lawyer. Okay, yeah. See, belief is big. If you don't value your role as a parent, if you don't have belief in that value, then, then what happens is you will not value that role. And then all of a sudden, the consequences, I think, of your lack of belief, it's going to hurt your kids. This is a biggie. You've got to believe that you have the highest of callings. Now, the second biblical action the next generation really needs from us is our presence. Write that down. We have to be there for our children. God knows the importance of this. In fact, he came to earth to demonstrate his presence in a more tangible way. John 1.14. So the word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son of the Father. And then when Jesus left, he promised that his presence would be with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1.14, with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. God is always present in our lives. Of course, he has the advantage of being omnipresent. We don't, okay? We can't be everywhere at once. So again, what does that mean? We have to prioritize this in our lives. Now, I know there's some of you in here who subscribe to the whole theory of quality time over quantity time. And what I want to say to you real simply is, you're wrong, okay? <laughs> yeah, you might want to argue with me, but one, I have the microphone right now. And uh, <clears throat> two, when you get to heaven, you'll just see I'm right, all right? <laughs> and, and you may be thinking, well, Brian, are you saying that I should feel guilty if I'm not spending enough time with my kids? Maybe. I mean, the answer is yes, if you're consistently putting your own selfish needs ahead of their needs. And I realize that there are some of you in here who are doing it on your own as single parents. Can I just go on record as saying, you're my heroes. I mean, I have no idea how you pull that off. It was really, really tough for us. There was two of us, right? I have no idea how single parents do it. I believe God will credit your hard work. Your kids will see that and call you blessed. But what kids won't appreciate is when parents are overworking, not to survive, but to drive a nicer car, to live in a bigger house, to stroke their own ego, right, those kinds of things. They're not going to appreciate that. And, and then when someone complains that you're not around, you somehow push it back on them. Well, if you weren't involved in so many things that cost so much money, I wouldn't have to work so much. Parents, they would much rather have your presence than your money. And here's something else to ponder. Is your body just there or is your heart there as well? In other words, do your kids really know that you're available to them? You might think about these two words, perceived presence. There's a guy from Harvard. He did a 10-year study, and he concluded this. The number one contributing factor to rage, anger, and hostility with kids. What would you think that is, right? My mind would go to maybe a kid that was abused. Maybe they were disciplined poorly by their parents, something like that. Now, the number one contributing factor to rage, anger, and hostility is a perceived inaccessibility of one or both parents. Perceived inaccessibility. 
That's powerful. I mean, my kids both played sports growing up. My oldest son was in soccer and baseball. My youngest son, Nathan, he was involved in gymnastics, tennis, lacrosse. And if there's one thing that Wendy and I did pretty well, we always made sure that one or both of us were at those sporting events. And every once in a while, there would be some kid on one of the teams that they played on whose parents never showed up. And that is sad, really sad. And, and I mean, I, I was just blown away by that. In fact, I talk to parents all the time. I mean, I'll counsel guys all the time. They're, they're like in their 30s, 40s, or 50s. They're still scarred by the fact that their dad was never around when they played sports as a kid. You know, I mean, I hear that all the time from guys. And sometimes a little kid will even try to defend the parent and say something like, well, you know, my, my dad's not here because he's not really into soccer, so he's out working in the yard today. And there are times I wish I wasn't a pastor. That's one of them, right? That's the time I wish I was a bouncer or a hitman or something. God, I'd go over there, I'd shake that guy and say, it's not about your enjoyment. It's not about you liking soccer. You're there for your kid. Your presence matters. That guy or girl is gonna grow up remembering that. I mean, you don't go to a fourth grade girl's basketball game for athletic enhancement, right? <laughs> Final score's like three to two. That's hell, all right? That's what that is. And parents, I know, I know, I know, I know you can't be at everything, right? I live in the real world. I understand that. But missing should be the exception rather than the norm. Your presence is a sign of caring, a sign of connectedness to your child. It's the power of being there. It's the whole cats in the cradle song, right? You are training your kids. And if you're not present in your kids' lives, guess what? They won't be as present in your grandchildren's lives and on and on it goes. And don't say, I'll get around to it later. That'll never happen. It seems like, you know, I blinked an eye and boom, Nick was off at college. Uh, then I blinked again and he was married. Next time I blink, I'll be a grandparent. Time just flies. <clears throat> I wanna make one more point about being present. Um, you need to give them focused attention. Focused attention. All right, face them, give them feedback. I mean, don't have your head buried in your phone, your laptop. Say, that's oh, okay, I, I, I can hear you, I can hear you. No, focus and face them. Let them see the eye contact. You gotta be there for them and you have to focus on them. Okay, the third and final element I want you to write down this morning is this. Youth need memories. People, memories are important in the development of youth. They provide emotional anchors. They provide spiritual anchors in a kid's life. Look at Deuteronomy 4. Only be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. You know, as a parent, you are building memories, whether you want to or not. <clears throat> My question is, are you building good memories or are you building bad memories? When the frames of experience of life are all spliced together into one long narrative, what will be that big picture memory about you? What will that be? Was mom a, a nag, <laughs> moody? Or was she fun, playful? Absent dad or present dad? Parents who argued all the time or, or parents who were crazy about each other? What about as a grandparent? What will be the memory of you as a grandparent? You play a significant role in their lives or you can. Are they gonna remember grandpa the grouch, right? Grandma the grump, plastic over the furniture, right? <laughs> Never wanted to go out to dinner or an event because they were busy watching Wheel of Fortune reruns. 
please, no. Okay. Now you say, well, how, how do we create memories? Well, let's get practical here as we wrap this up. One way is to build traditions. I think I put these on your outline. You got to build, there should be some kind of traditions in your house, even if they're small, right? Every first day of school, we did this. Every birthday, we would do this together as a family. Every holiday, we would do this. If you don't have any, just, just make one up, okay? Some of them I know your kids may want to forget later on in life. Uh, we are all Minnesota Viking fans in our house, so on the first day of football season, we would paint our faces purple and yellow, right? That was one of our traditions. Actually, I'm still lobbying for that one, but uh, <laughs> the real tradition was dad gets worked up in a frenzy, mom locks herself in the bedroom, and uh, my boys learn how to deal with another year of pain, agony, and gut-wrenching loss. <clears throat> it's been a real good character builder for them. Great tradition. Anything can be a tradition. I mean, just make something up. Every time you go to Chili, someone has to order a bowl of chili. Right? There's, there's a tradition. On Flag Day, have your kids dress up like Betsy Ross. They'll love that. Yeah, <laughs> not really. Um, how about every first Monday of the month, you, you buy a present for your pastor? That's a good tradition, right? I mean, <clears throat> there's many you could come up with. But seriously, seriously though, traditions, that's a great way to build memories. Also, be sure to capture your memories in visual form. Very important. You know, photos, videos. I mean, take those of your kids, put them in prominent places. Studies suggest that family vacations, family vacations are the greatest memories people have. So take those pictures, enlarge them, hang them up. Right? Overwhelm your kids with pictures and videos of them growing up. That builds family unity. And the same goes for you and your spouse. Hang up your wedding photos. That was a great moment, all right? For some of you, that was the day you were the most happily married, right? Celebrate that. <laughs> Let people see it. Let your kids see it. And don't make all the excuses I've ever, but I had a green tux, right? The collars went down to my elbows, right? Some of you wore outfits that would embarrass the village people. All right? I get that. But I had big hair. I had hair. Whatever. Hang that picture up. It's a great memory. Take videos, too. Around Christmas time, I'll pull out old family videos, and I'm always surprised. I mean, my son Nick, Nate, even their friends, they love to watch these videos. Just a couple years ago, I remember I went to bed. They stayed up like late at night. I could hear them out there just laughing, watching these videos. And it's amazing to see how they're cheering each other on as they're watching the videos. Like, Nathan, you were hysterical. That was a great dance move. Or, or Nick, you beat dad at Scrabble at six months old, right? <laughs> and my oldest son, Nathan, came, <laughs> Nick came out of the womb speaking complete sentences. But I, I can just go on and on with these. I, I put them on your outline. Write letters, songs, poems, whatever. Create adventures for your kids. And if you have boys... Anything involving mystery, intrigue, danger, automatic weapons, right? That's part of their makeup. Kids need adventure. You know, our church is going on adventures all the time. You don't even you have to create one. Just jump in. We take family trips down to Mexico several times a year. Here's my point. Your kid would rather be in a beaten up old Hyundai headed toward an adventure than to have a Mercedes at home parked in the driveway, stay in there. That's all about building great memories. Hey, we got to wrap this up, but I got so many more things to share with you in this series, things I'm excited about, significant stuff like building in responsibility, building in discipline. But this whole dynamic of spiritual parenting, it's ultimately about passing on a spiritual heritage from one generation to the next. Going after those high ideals that Paul had for Timothy, confidence, character, conviction, compassion, and competence. 
But let me close with this. You can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. We need a wisdom greater than our own. That's why if you look at this final passage, I underlined some descriptive terms, at least here in my notes. You want wisdom? Look at this. If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. See, it says, call out. It says, cry aloud. It says, look for it. It says, search for it. Those are fairly desperate terms for needing wisdom. I know I need it. My guess is you do too. When it comes to spiritual parenting, we all need wisdom. So let's cry out for his wisdom as we close in prayer. God, we we cry out to you right now. We call out for insight, cry aloud for understanding. And we're gonna be willing to look for wisdom as if we were searching for silver, hidden treasure. God, I thank you that in the book of James, you say it very clearly. If anybody lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. But God, we need tremendous wisdom for those of us here, especially who are parents, for those of us who are grandparents, But even if we're aunts and uncles, even if we don't have kids and we're looking for ways to build into future generations, we need your wisdom. God, remind us that Christianity is always just one generation away from extinction. So we must, we must, we must pass on our spiritual heritage. And I thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul and how he urged Timothy to be confident to be a man of character and conviction, to have compassion and to believe in his competence, his gifts and abilities, and the fact that he could make a difference in this world. And I pray that we would believe that as well, because oftentimes I think we short circuit this process by thinking, eh, I can't make a difference. What could I say? Or or maybe as parents, we feel like, oh, my kids, they're tired of hearing from me. God, would you remind us that we have an awesome responsibility that children are a reward from you. They're a gift from you. And God, I pray that we would believe in our power to shape their lives. And I also pray that you would blow up this myth of quality time and help us to recognize that our kids need us to be present, not just hit and miss, not perceived inaccessibility, but perceived accessibility, perceived presence in their life. And then finally, God, would you give us ways to make memories because those are so powerful. Family unity, remembering good times. Lord, that we would not be so busy just doing our jobs and making money and putting food on the table that we forget what it means to be a family, to do life together, to love each other, to have joyful times together. God, I thank you for the opportunity to talk about these things. And in the coming weeks, I'm looking forward to what you're going to teach each and every one of us. And I I just pray that you would help these messages, not just to be, oh, that was a good idea, and then walk out of here, but rather be life-changing. Help us to take these principles, take our notes, and, and begin to think, how can I apply this in my life as a parent, as a grandparent, or even as just someone who has a little more wisdom, a little more age, a little more maturity, building into someone younger. It's in Jesus' name we pray.